Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, January 8th, we're studying Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. In fulfillment of the words of the prophets, John the Baptist appears in the wilderness, preaching and baptizing for repentance and forgiveness, preparing the way of the Lord who comes after him. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Andrew Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks for having me back. Pastor Preuss, we're just getting started here in the gospel according to St. Mark. We looked at the gospel as a whole and the first verse yesterday. As we prepare to jump into now verses 2 through 8, what do we need to know about this gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, that St. Mark is going to lay out for us, beginning with this text? Yeah, so what we have here is Mark is uh, you know, setting up the, the whole scene, and it's kind, of, it's, it's kind of a dramatic sort of introduction where he has the, uh, he has the, 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 the prophecy of Isaiah— which is prefaced by the prophecy of Malachi from Malachi chapter three, which is more of actually a, a paraphrase of that. Um, Malachi chapter three, verse one says, I will prepare, or I, I will send my angel who will prepare my way before me. Um, and, uh, and, and, but this one says, you know, behold, I send my angel before your face who will prepare your way. Right, and 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 so there's sort of a there's 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 sort of a shift there, um, and uh, and and this is something that's also repeated in Matthew when Jesus says when Jesus talks about uh, uh, or, or when when John the Baptist is uh, is is uh, prophesying about Jesus, um, but at any rate, then he goes on and he. And he uh, he quotes Isaiah from Isaiah 40, which talks about a voice crying in the wilderness, uh, prepare the way for the Lord. So here are these two key passages in the Old Testament, which refer to a prophet or a voice who will come to prepare the coming of God in the flesh. And and so it, it sets it all up with this Old Testament prophecy and then suddenly it's like the dust kind of, you know, uh, uh, blows away, and then you see John the Baptist. I mean, that's kind of how I like to uh, imagine Mark's, the beginning of Mark's gospel. Um, and I'm sure you already, you know, yesterday covered Mark chapter 1, verse 1, um, but there you, 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 you have the, you know, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ or the, the, you know the the principle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like this is the 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 whole purpose here for Mark is to teach, 
teach the gospel. And, uh, and he's going to, and, and so he's going to begin then with the old Testament. And he's, uh, you know, he's not just telling, he's not just telling uh, a, a historical event for the sake of a historical event, but he's telling a historical event uh, as a fulfillment of prophecy, which has been spoken long ago. You mentioned yesterday that we said yesterday in, in 1 verse 1, Mark begins by talking about this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And now in today's text, we're not actually going to meet Jesus. We won't meet Jesus until verse 9, which we'll cover on Monday. Today we're going to be talking about John. And as you said, Mark's opening is very dramatic. I like the way that you you have it. You know, it's like he, he opens the curtain, he tells you what it's about, he gives you this old testament, then the dust settles and boom, there's John. But there's really been no introduction of John. Like you don't get what you have in the gospel according to Luke, where you get the whole narrative with Zachariah and Elizabeth and all of the stuff that happens before. John just shows up in the wilderness. And you mentioned the Old Testament he's using to set the stage here. How does John fit into the Old Testament, the New Testament? How does he fit into this big picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Yeah, so John is John's really the last prophet of the Old Testament. You have a you have about a four hundred year hiatus um, where there are no prophets uh, speaking from God directly um, between Malachi and John the Baptist. John the Baptist, and you have that intertestamental period, you know, which includes the Maccabees. But you know, there's no there's no confirmed prophecy. Uh, coming from God during that time. Um, and then suddenly here is John the Baptist, who is the last the last of the Old Testament prophets, but really the first of the New Testament prophets. He's the he's the one to, to prepare the way for 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 something new for the for the coming one, and that is that is Jesus Christ. And he's also he's also his what, what his second cousin or something like that. Um, so, so there's that relation. Sure. Yeah. They're, they're related. We know from the gospel, according to Luke. So let's, let's go ahead and read what Mark has for us today and keep digging into the old Testament, what it says about John, and then what we see John do here at the beginning of Mark's gospel, Mark one, verse two and following as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's the text for today, Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Pastor Price, you've already taken us into those Old Testament quotations that Mark provides, or the 
paraphrases that he gives. He says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, as you mentioned, he really takes something from Malachi chapter 3 and something from Isaiah 40 and puts them together. That's pretty common to see the New Testament writers do that. They'll say, you know, this comes from this prophet, but they're actually drawing from multiple sources. And yeah, just so, I mean, that's okay, right? Yeah, yeah. There's um, <clears throat> another example of that is in Matthew 2, where, uh, you know, they talk about uh, where Matthew quotes Micah chapter 5 and says, uh, you know, out of you, Bethlehem, will come a king who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, it doesn't say they're shepherd my people Israel in, in, in Micah 5, but he's pulling that from from Second uh, uh, Samuel chapter 2 or something like that, where uh, Samuel, where uh, David goes to, uh, uh, I believe, Hebron, and the, and the people of Israel there say, you know, you are here to shepherd us, right? So it's sort of a reference to him being the son of David. Um, to being the one who, or the promised shepherd. Um, there's, and that's that's actually common. I remember looking, because I remember listening to this debate between a Christian and a Jew, and the Jew was pointing out how Matthew doesn't really quote scripture or he doesn't quote it properly, and uh, and so then I I kind of did a little bit of digging on that and found an, a helpful article showing how this is actually this was actually quite common for rabbis to do where they would insert uh, different messianic names, you know, uh, in kind of as glosses in the text. So when you quote a text, you always kind of give a little bit of a preface to it or, or a paraphrase or maybe clarifying words within it. And, uh, and that isn't adding to scripture. That's if anything, that's just showing the unity of scripture. Do you quote, you might say you're quoting from Micah, but you're you're including in there some, you know, some uh, paraphrase uh, uh, reference to the fact that he's going to shepherd Israel. Um, you know that that's that's fine, and that's something that uh, the scriptures do promise and talk about. And so here he's quoting Isaiah, but he's including uh, as a preface a prophecy from Malachi. Well, why not? Isaiah and Malachi aren't. You know, th- this is the thing about the way that the way that the, the New Testament writers think is uh, that the scriptures are God's word. They're inspired. And so, yeah, they might be quoting this particular prophet and they might they can understand, I suppose, the, the, the uniqueness of this particular prophet and his circumstances. But at the end of the day, it's God's word. So you're not hearing them talk about you know, Deutero Isaiah and, you know, or, you know, talk about all these, these differences um, between the prophets as if they're not really divinely inspired. Right. I mean, that's how like the scholars these days often speak is they, they humanize the scriptures so much to the point where they're, they're just literary devices that we just kind of lay over a, an operating table and, and, uh, and and you know scrutinize and uh you know and there's some place for us to be able to look at the different manuscripts and you know study the scriptures and look at the difference between the way that isaiah speaks or the context of isaiah and and other prophets but at the end of the day it's god's word so if we're going to quote 
you know, if we're going to quote from Scripture, we should be able to quote from other parts of Scripture, too, that, and, that are saying the same thing, and not just assume that they're totally on a different wavelength because they're just different writers. Um, that's not how the, the apostles thought. That's not how we should think. And so we actually, this is actually a great example to us in how to quote Scripture, that here he's quoting Isaiah, but he's going to include in it, um, you know, another prophet who who is also a witness with Isaiah of the things to come. Right. We should be learning from the apostles their use of the Old Testament and seek to mold ours toward theirs rather than trying to teach the apostles the way we think they should have used the Old Testament. They're the ones who had the promise of the Lord that the Holy Spirit was going to bring to their remembrance all that he said, and they were going to write it down, and that's what we've got here. And so when we see things like that, we should, as you said, we should learn from them. We should look at their use of the Old Testament and and try to use the Old Testament in the same way. And it's always, I mean, I don't know if this is true for you. Whenever I, whenever I see these things, it always kind of blows my mind because it's not usually the way that I would have quoted the Old Testament or, or applied the Old Testament. Jesus will do this in some of his quotes later on. The one that stands out to me the most is where he's talking to the Sadducees about the resurrection. And in order to prove the resurrection from them, he quotes from Exodus chapter 3, where God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac. I mean, it's like, I would not have thought that that would be the verse to talk about the resurrection, but Jesus knew it. <laughs> and so, yeah, and, and, and exactly. similarly here, I might not have, I might not have thought to, to put these two verses together, but Mark does it inspired by the Holy spirit. And so it's a, a moment where I can learn to read the old Testament with that lens of, of Christ. And I, I think, I think Mark gives us an example of that as you were reading earlier from Malachi chapter three, and, and you were using the word, the word angel and messenger interchangeably, which, which is a, a good use that the word angel does mean messenger. So in Malachi 3, this is the Lord talking, and he says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And then as Mark brings that into his gospel, he says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. So the, the change there, or the, maybe I'd say the, the preaching that's there, is that instead of preparing the way before me, it's preparing the way before you or your face, which I, I think already is another indication that Mark is going to preach Jesus to us as the Christ, the Son of God. This, this one that you're going to meet, this Jesus Christ, he's the God of the Old Testament whose way is being prepared by, by John. And, and he's preaching that already to just in that simple pronoun, my to your. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. No, I think that um, that's a, that's a good point. And, you know, and this is something that, you know, like in, just to skip ahead a bit. And when Jesus is baptized, it says, you know, he, Mark records him saying, you are my beloved son, you know, in whom I am well pleased um, <clears throat> rather than this is my beloved son, which of course are neither is mutually exclusive. Um, and so what Mark is really showing here is the relation between the relation between the father and the son, the, the, like, as you said, the emphasis that he is the son of God. And so this is like the, 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 the real, the, the, from the very get go, um, you know, the, 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 the main character is the son of God, even though we don't see him appear until, you know, verse nine, um, 
he uh, and and we have this a little bit with 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 John the Baptist. We know that the the main character is uh, is the son of the father. One more thing before we move past these Old Testament quotations. Both of these Old Testament quotations talk about preparing the way of the Lord or making His path straight. To use the language of Isaiah as well. Why? And this, I think, takes us back toward some of the things we talked about during the season of Advent. Why does the Lord need to have his way prepared? What's going on? Why does this need to happen before the Lord comes? Well, there is both a kind of historical reason as well as uh, then there's the personal reason. So God prepares our hearts for him um, so uh, so that we wouldn't be so that our hearts wouldn't be hardened, um, so that we wouldn't uh, uh, be, so that we wouldn't be scandalized. Um, you know, he uh, he 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 takes our heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh, uh, with a humble heart, with a contrite heart, um, so that we uh, so that we don't just kind of you know despise his word. Um, he's not forcing us to believe in the sense of coercion, but he is giving us faith. Um, it's all by his power. It's not by our will at all. And yet he he's he's doing so by his grace. Um, he's doing so by his kindness. Um, and so it's the same kind of way historically um, that he dealt with his people Israel by by preparing their hearts, by preparing them, and and by preparing the 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 the, the events of history. Um, Paul says in Galatians 4, that at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, right? It's the fullness of time. It's when, when all of history is at its fulfillment. And so God has, God has sent his prophets. God has worked through world history. Um, and, uh, and, and he has done all of this in order to, 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 uh, to bring it all about uh, at the fullness of time that the son of God would appear. Sorry, one more thing. I realized one more thing from there. The and this takes us into John. The place that's given is the wilderness. What's the significance of the wilderness as a place in the scriptures, and then leading up to Mark chapter one? Yeah, well, the wilderness is a great theme throughout the scriptures. Um, you have you have you know Adam and Eve are kicked out of the of the garden, and really then they're they're in the wilderness. Um, and uh, of course, you know, they have to cultivate land and then it becomes really not wilderness anymore. But, um, but then you have the, the people of Israel are, are taken out of Egypt and then they're in the wilderness. And, uh, and, you know, uh, you have, you, before that you have the patriarchs who are often in the wilderness, <clears throat> Jacob running up to Padan Aram, um, and, uh, on his way down, uh, after many years of wrestling with God at the at the brook of Jabbok um, in the wilderness there, and and then you know after Jesus is baptized, he is taken out to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Um, you know you have uh, backing up then during the the time of the of the kings, Elijah is brought out into the wilderness um, when there's a drought. Uh, to be fed by by crows at, at a brook, um, and uh, you know, so many, so many uh, uh, 
different themes. Uh, the, the house of God is left desolate because of the unbelief of the people. So what does all this mean with the significance of the wilderness? Well, it's that we don't, man does not live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, uh, and we can't rely on our own kind of uh, urbanization or, 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 uh, or our own kind of building up. Um, we're always in the wilderness in this life. We are always strangers in this world. Um, no matter how civilized we might think we are, um, we are we we are always strangers in this world, and our true home is in heaven. And so, as long as we are in this world, we're in the wilderness. And this also shows then how how God's word is often treated. You know, a voice crying in the wilderness is sort of like you know it reminds you of that whole that that saying. You know, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, does it make a sound? You know, there's someone's crying in the wilderness, you know, it's easy to despise. It's easy to ignore. It's just kind of some voice that's out there and uh, people are ignoring it. Um, And, and yet we should listen to that voice. um, The voice that seems insignificant um, because God uh, brought his people through the wilderness to teach them that their home is one that he has prepared for them. And it's not one that we just make for ourselves, because when we are so busy making homes for ourselves and not and and losing sight of the home that is prepared for us in heaven, then we're we don't have time. You know, we we find less and less time to listen to that voice, uh, which is crying out, prepare the way for the Lord. So John is that voice in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. Mark has set the stage with this Old Testament quotation from both Malachi and Isaiah. And then, as you said, that dust settles, which is a good image because we're talking about preparing the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Imagine if you were building a road in the wilderness, there would be lots of dust. As that dust settles, here is John. John appears baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. There's going to be a lot to talk about here with John, Pastor Preuss, uh, just on this side of the break. Get us started with that word repentance. John is often known as a preacher of repentance. When we hear that word from John and in the scriptures, what should we understand? Yeah, we should understand this word in, in I suppose, both its narrow and, and broad sense, um, you know, in, in, in its kind of narrow sense. Repentance is referring to, you know, change of mind, um, and uh, and and it has to do with you know mourning over your sin. But here, John is speaking of repentance. That is, it's not just it's not just a, a mourning over your sin. It's a it is a a gift from God. Um, God grants us repentance, and he uh, you know he actually changes our mind. Um, so this is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So it's not we're not talking about we're not talking about just uh, go and change the way that you're living. I mean, certainly there's there's that's included in there. Um, but here he is uh, here is a uh, uh, a free gift. This is what uh, this is this is what what John is proclaiming. He's proclaiming repentance in in the hope and anticipation of the one who is saving us. Um, so, you know, straighten up. Here, here comes your salvation. You know, 
rather than Jesus is coming, look busy, you know. <laughs> right. Repentance is a, a gift, and it is that gift that John came proclaiming. It is that gift he came with baptism, and we're going to look more at the ministry of John on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around. A hardened ranch hand bears wounds from the past. As hard as I might try, there are people I cannot forgive. But can he overcome his bitterness? Your memory of your pain is greater than the memory of your deliverance. To protect the son of his best friend. I will give my life to save yours. When Quicksand threatens to kill him. Don't do this. Quicksand, the exciting new audio drama on the next Lamplighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Cross Defense is the show where we talk about curious topics to excite the imagination, equip the mind, and comfort the soul with God's Word. Join me, Pastor Tyrell Bramwell, every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio, or anytime on KFUO.org, or even your favorite podcast app. My friends, our foe is a fierce enemy. Our only defense is Christ on the cross. Greetings, saints of our Lord. This is Pastor Brady Finner. I am humbled to be the new host of Thy Strong Word. Every weekday from 11 to noon, we will receive the gift of God's Word and Paul's epistles for our new series. We will travel with Paul from city to city, from letter to letter, as he encourages, exhorts, proclaims, and points us to Christ and Him crucified for your forgiveness. Join us, live or on demand, because God has gifts to give for you. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, January 8th. We're studying Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. We have Pastor Andrew Preuss with us. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we looked at Mark's use of the Old Testament and setting the stage for John to appear. And John has appeared his message centers around repentance, this gift of God that brings us ready to receive Christ by faith. And John's ministry, Mark emphasizes in two ways, baptizing in the wilderness and then proclaiming. So baptizing and preaching are the two main things that John is doing in the wilderness. Baptizing is the one that I think we most readily associate with John because he's often called John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. But this baptism that John has, well, what is it? I mean, he calls it, Mark calls it a baptism of repentance. We know the people who are coming are confessing their sins. What is John's baptism? What does it do? How does it relate to, to Jesus' baptism that he gives at the end of Matthew's gospel? You don't have to take all those at once, but some those are some of the questions I think we need to explore. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there's there is there are different views on this um among among uh, among christians among lutherans even you know that uh it it i suppose you could say that it's not entirely nailed down but i kind of have an idea um that that i'm i'm pretty convinced of um and uh and that is uh something actually martin chemnitz talks about this in his second volume 
of uh, his uh, examination of the Council of Trent, and that that John the Baptist baptism and our baptism today are really the same baptism. It's just that they that John in John's day it hasn't been brought to fruition yet, right? It hasn't been fulfilled. Um, but when Jesus is baptized in the Jordan by John, now Jesus has joined himself to that baptism so that now it's, it's, it's fulfilled. And then Jesus gives the commission at the end of his gospel. But remember, John says, John the Apostle says, mentions that, you know, Jesus' disciples were, being, were baptizing people by Jesus' commission already. So, I mean, we think of the Great Commission as this, this is like when baptism started, and we could talk about that as the institution of baptism, but the institution of baptism doesn't necessarily mean that the, that that's the, the moment when, when baptism first came about. Obviously, Jesus speaks of it in John chapter 3. Um, there, the, 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 so John's baptism, so it's somehow John's baptism is being transferred over to Jesus. And it's and Jesus kind of takes takes it over, um, and John decreases while Jesus increases. So I don't think it's helpful to speak of John's baptism as a different baptism. Um, it's different in the sense that it's not fulfilled yet, um, and and of course you do have disciples of John who don't understand the Holy Spirit, um, and which means that they were not listening to John. <laughs> you know, uh, that's. That's another thing that that is significant about this is that I mean I remember uh, my per, my uh, professor Dr. Winger would make this point a lot uh, about how it's John is speaking in the imperfect here in the imperfect tense which is or Mark is speaking in the imperfect tense here that John is John was in the wilderness pre, he was preaching. Right, a, a, a baptism of repentance, right? He was continually doing that. It wasn't just a one-time event. John didn't just have a revival uh, like that. Like that, uh, He didn't have a tent revival like like is portrayed in the, uh, uh, what is that, Neil Diamond song, which is one of my favorite songs, um, Love Brother, Brother Love, Travel and Salvation Show. You know, it wasn't... It wasn't one of those one of those one time events where he just put on a show and a bunch of people came up for an altar call and got baptized and and then later on they're like oh by the way there's more now you got to get baptized by Jesus no he he was he was literally he was doing what he said he was preparing them for Jesus he was talking about Jesus that's what John talked about so he's baptizing them and he's talking about Jesus and then eventually Jesus shows up and confirms John's baptism. By being baptized by him, and then that baptism just kind of continues. So um, you do. So you do have examples, and I think it's Acts 19. We have people who only know the baptism of John, but they've never heard of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> and then they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it's like, oh, so was so they must have been that that, that first baptism didn't count, then I guess. It's like, well, most likely they weren't really baptized by John. They probably just had a baptism. You know, I'm sure John's Baptist, John's disciples kind of continued, and you had like these John the Baptist sects that continued on. But it's not, you know, if John's not baptizing you, then it's not John's baptism, you know. And really, and that's the point, too, is that it never was John's baptism. John, you know, John doesn't claim it 
as his. In fact, he's distancing himself from the actual work when he says that he baptizes with water. But we can kind of get to that uh, later on here if, uh, um, if you if you have any other any other comments before that. Well, I, I think that's a helpful way of looking at it. Maybe as you're talking, perhaps we could understand it similar to the Old Testament sacrifices, that the Old Testament sacrifices, things were really happening then. People were really being forgiven by those sacrifices. God was fulfilling his promise, but he was doing that in view of what Christ would do. And so in a similar way with the baptism that John is giving here, something's really happening. It's, it's not just a a symbol of something happening somewhere else, but something actually is happening in John's baptism in view of what Christ will do on the cross in the baptism. Well, I mean, in the baptism that he's about to receive here, in the baptism he talks about that he receives on the cross, and then in those words that he does give to the apostles at the end of Matthew's gospel. Is that, I mean, can we see it in that same sort of way? Yeah, I, I think I think we kind of can. I think we do have to be a little cautious in in that comparison, just because, um, you know, the Old Testament sacrifices, you're right, they did, uh, they, they, they were a, they were a, an outward sign, um, looking forward to the, the, the fact that God would bring atonement and they were there for the, for the strengthening of their faith, that they would see that God's promise that he would provide atonement for their sins. But, um, but this, ba- you know, the baptism, itself is is not merely it's sort of standing on the edge of old testament new testament so there you you right. so i think that's a fair comparison um i think that they're they're very much in a in the same kind of category as far as this is just how god works right god works through these outward signs and he attaches his promises to these outward signs um and uh but uh <clears throat> but at the same time the sacrifices were the law right and and here we're coming into well this is more than just a precept right this is more than just uh just something that the priests are doing and this is something that's really remarkable about this is that you know baptizing i mean the whole concept of water and washing which is really what baptism means it's just washing where where is washing in the old testament well the priests right the priests would go and wash um i suppose if someone was unclean and then was pronounced clean, you know, he'd go and wash himself. You have uh, Naaman washing himself in the Jordan River. Um, but but otherwise, usually it was the priests washing uh, in the basins. And now here you have all of Judea and Jerusalem coming out to be baptized. And I think that's significant when he just, he says all, you know, the entire country came out. Well, obviously, not every single person came out, you know, but the point, his point, he's really, he's really emphasizing that throughout all the region, this was open for all. And you have all these people coming out and being baptized. And it's, so it's much greater than, so yeah, I, I, I think you're right to, to draw that comparison that similar to the, the sacrifices and how they pointed forward, they were in view of the coming atonement. And yet, it's even greater than that. It's uh, it's available for all. Um, it's it's not uh, it's not just a priestly function for a special kind of priestly class, but it's a priestly function for the entire people of God um, to come and be cleansed. Right, and and it, like you said, that that's a great point. That this is all the country of Judea, all Jerusalem. They were they were coming 
from everywhere to be baptized by John. They were confessing their sins. That's an important thing to note when we talk about Jesus' baptism with the next text, that you've got people coming to John's baptism confessing their sins. Jesus comes to the baptism as well. What does that mean? Well, we'll talk about that on Monday, but just keep that in mind. Part before yeah. before Mark before Mark gives and I'll us, I'll be preaching about that on Sunday. So that's right. That's right. This Sunday <laughs> is the is in many congregations is going to be observed as the baptism of our Lord. So when you go to church on Sunday, keep that in mind that this is a baptism that's being received by those who are confessing their sins. What's Jesus doing in that water too? That's a really important thing to consider and to answer as we consider the gospel, the good news that is there for us in the baptism of our Lord. But I won't spoil your sermon on Sunday, Pastor Preuss, nor will I spoil the episode. <laughs> yeah, you have, to, you have to go to church on Sunday and then listen to Sharper Iron on Monday. Make sure you, you get the gospel that's there in the baptism of yeah. our Lord. Yeah. Spoiler so, alert. Jesus takes our place. Okay. It's there okay you to go. Hear it again. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Spoil. Yep. Yep. Jesus takes our place. It's a. It really is a, a beautiful thing in the yeah. in the baptism of our Lord. It's one of those. I don't want to go too far, but just briefly, it's one of those things that I don't know that I I fully appreciated it all the time when it comes to the importance of this. That that in this event, how you really see the gospel shine through clearly. That Jesus goes to the place where sinners go to take their place, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's, it's just a, it's a fantastic picture. So go to church on Sunday and listen to Sharp Iron on Monday to get more of that. Mark tells us here, before he gives us the summary of John's preaching, he tells us a little bit about his clothing and about his diet. And, and this is one of those things that I think sticks in people's minds about John, that he's wearing camel's hair, he's got a leather belt around his waist, and his diet is locusts and wild honey. Why is that important? Uh, what does that mean? Well, I'll start with the locusts and wild honey. Um, locusts, actually, if you look at the, in, in Leviticus, and talks about the the different uh, types of animals that you can eat and that you can't eat, so the clean and unclean. Locusts or grasshoppers are actually mentioned as the clean animals. Um, and, uh, and it's just kind of funny because, you know, who's going to eat them unless you have nothing else to eat? So John is, he's living completely off of the land. Um, he's free. He is, uh, he's not dependent on any man. And, this is what makes John such a great prophet. It's, it's what made Elijah such a great prophet. You know, you know the story of Elijah, how he 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 has that show show off uh, or that that sh that face off with the uh, with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and then uh, and then he finds himself kind of in exile, um, running down to uh, to Mount Horeb. Um, you know, he and then before that he's he's in. Uh, when during when when the the there's a famine in the land that that he prays for that 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 it would not that it wouldn't rain for three years, and then he's carried off by God to the wilderness to be fed by ravens, right? And and so and this is this is how Elijah was described in uh, in in Second Kings chapter one uh, when Ahaziah the king of Northern Israel consulted the the god of Ekron uh, when he was sick, and then God condemned him to death and sent Elijah to tell him that he would die. And Ahaziah was mad at Elijah, 
and uh and and but they were but but when when uh when Ahaziah's men came to describe this prophet to Ahaziah, he asked, well, what did he look like and they said, oh, he had camel's hair and a belt around his waist, you know, and so it's the same way that that John the Baptist is described and and it's someone who really sticks out, someone who's very He's he's not well groomed. Right? He's he's just uh, he's he you, you kind of I mean he sounds kind of crazy, you know, um, and yet he's he's more sober than anyone. He's free. He's free from you know he's he he he, he would never he's never been um, enslaved to anything. You know that's just what's so remarkable about John the Baptist. He's uh, we look at him and think, oh man, that would kind of stink to just use locust and wild honey your whole life and but but john like that's all that's all he knew that's all he cared about you know he all he cared about was god's word and so here he is you know he's relying on god he's loving god and um he's preparing his way um so so yeah we see we can see here a very clear image of the way the reason why mark is going to the to through the detail and the other the other gospel writers do the same thing of describing John, uh, the way that John's dressing, is because of the, the prophet Malachi, um, you know, predicts that that uh, that Elijah, that God would send Elijah, right? And and the and and the the angel Gabriel says in Luke one to Zechariah, his father, that he will come in the spirit of Elijah. Um, so so you know, Mark is showing here that that John is this. Second Elijah, he is this 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 new Elijah uh, who has come, and uh, and so that's what's significant there. And 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 the thing about Elijah too is that Elijah is associated with. I mean, he's one of the mightiest prophets. Um, you know, like I, I already mentioned, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Well, anyone who knows his Bible stories knows what happened there. That God sent fire down from heaven to consume the the. The sacrifice, which has a, a big significance in uh, on on the atonement, that just as Jesus bore the fire of God's wrath and on the altar of the cross, so so when Elijah, after Elijah, poured water on it three times, right, <laughs> uh, which is a which is a, a symbol of baptism. You know, you can't help but think of the of, of the, the washing of baptism that that points forward to. Um, and the and the unity between baptism and the death of Christ and the sacrifice that's provided, um, and then God brought fire down from heaven and swallowed it all up, and uh, and that image then of John the Baptist baptizing with water, but but he who's coming after him, just as Elijah waited on God to bring down the fire, so John the Baptist is waiting on Jesus, the Son of God, to bring the fire, to bring the Holy Spirit. Um, you have this image of fire also. As I mentioned with uh, Ahaziah in Second Corinthians or Second Second Kings, um, chapter one, where God uh, basically Elijah invokes fire down from heaven on the men of uh, Ahaziah who are trying to take him away. So, so Elijah is is uh, is kind of a, a terrifying figure as well, right? Um, so, and yet here he is also a figure of great hope. Um, and John the Baptist is uh, it comes at a time when there's lots of division and uh, lots of, of fact, frac, fracturing within the the, the the people of God. 
and uh, people are coming out to confess their sins, and you can see there's this great hope um, that is uh, that's being uh, that's being anticipated anticipated in John the Baptist. I don't know that I'd ever thought to connect that event on Mount Carmel with Elijah to some of the things that John preaches, but I think you're right to draw those connections. It's a because I mean, even I know Mark doesn't give us that the one coming will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire, but you hear that in the other gospel writers that that's a part of John's preaching, and I think mm-hmm. that connects really nicely to that that event there in in First Kings. The other thing about Elijah's ministry that I think we'll also see played out in John's as well, is that right after that event, Elijah is forced out into the wilderness by Queen Jezebel. I mean, you know, the people slaughter the prophets of Baal, but Queen Jezebel is ready to kill Elijah, and he ends up fleeing. Now, the Lord protects him, of course. But similarly, what happens after John's preaching? Well, he gets thrown into prison by Herod, and, and he will be martyred. So I think, I mean, you see other parallels there, too, all of that coming, as you said, from the prophet Malachi, which to go back, you know, the Old Testament quote at the very beginning, when Mark quotes from Malachi 3 in that part, I think, you know, he is he's inviting you to consider more of what's in Malachi, including what we've got here from the the prophet Elijah and the, the promise that's made there right at the very end of the Old Testament. And it, I mean, it is quite something that that promise about Elijah coming again is right there at the end of the Old Testament, and here right at the beginning of the New, you have it being fulfilled in John the Baptist. I mean, like, like you were saying earlier, in the unity of Scripture, you know, you, you just turn the page from the Old to the New, and it you're reading the same same Word of God, the same narrative of what God is doing to save His people. And, and so that gets us to John's preaching, the last two verses of this text. The other main thing that John was doing is preaching in the wilderness. As you said, it's a habitual thing. He's doing this over and over. And what Mark tells us here, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So we've got about 10 minutes here, Pastor Preuss, to, to talk about the preaching of John. What What is John saying about Jesus? Yeah, well, first that he is coming, right? Um, that word, you know, he uses... Uh, that word erkamai in the in the Greek. Um there are there uh the in in, in Matthew chapter eleven <clears throat> you have uh you have John the Baptist sending his disciples to Jesus and asking, you know, are you the one who is to come? Right? The uh the Erkamanos, I think is the is is the title there in Greek. Um which is a messianic title, right? That is the one who is the, the the Lord Himself, right? Um, and uh, you know the the this is this is one of the last things that we hear in the Old Testament. Behold, I send Elijah before before the um, before that before the come before the coming of the Lord, or before that that uh, that that great day comes. Um, I don't have the text in front of me right now, although I sh- I should have it memorized. Um, but but anyway. Um, you know, the one who is to come is the Lord. That is, uh, and that's that's the Christ. So when he says there comes one uh, uh, who who is mightier than I am, uh, who who's coming after me, you know, there's sort of a paradox here that he's coming after me, and yet he's preferred before me, as 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 he says in John's gospel. Um, he's coming after me, but he's mightier than I am. 
Um, but he's but but the, the 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 point here, the emphasis here is that he's coming. And in the Greek, and the thing about Greek, you know, you know this about the Greek language and how it, it doesn't really. It's like Latin in this way, where it's not. It doesn't depend upon word order like it does in English. Um, it depends more on the conjugation and declension of uh, of the of the uh, the verbs and the nouns. Um, and uh, and and if you can identify those, then you can you can you can identify you know what 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 it's saying. Um, but uh, but one of one of the things that what one of the things that Greek does, and Latin will do this too is it will emphasize a word um, maybe by putting it at the beginning of a sentence or sometimes maybe putting it right in the middle of a sentence. But here you have, you know, the, the, that word uh, erketai, right? So for, for Merikamai, the coming one or is coming, right? So coming is the one uh, mightier than I who comes after me, right? And, uh, and so you see how the emphasis there is on the coming of the Lord. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, you know, he's not even worthy to untie his sandals. Um, he's in, and and this, this should remind us of, um, this should remind us then of what Jesus ends up doing uh, in John's gospel on the night of his betrayal. Uh, Jesus does more than untie the, the sandal straps of his disciples. He washes their feet. Right, so you see how John is studying. He's describing the Lord, right? Who, who is we are unworthy even to approach him, to even to untie his sandals, and yet that Lord comes in meekness and and humility in order to save us and to untie and to do much more than untie our sandals. And he honors us um, with his uh, with his presence, with his death, with his with his resurrection. Uh, with his incarnation, of course, before all that. So, um, <clears throat> and then you know he, and then you see the emphasis here, how he says, "I baptize you with water, um, but he will baptize you um, with or with the Holy Spirit, um, and with with, or sorry, he doesn't say and with fire, but but with the Holy Spirit." So I was baptizing you with water, um, but he will baptize you uh, with the Holy Spirit, and. And here he uses another thing in Greek, um, which is is that pronouns are not necessary, right? So you can just use, you know, you could just use the verb um, if you want to. If you want to say I say, you could just say Lego, which is just the first person for I say, I speak, right? But if you want to say, um, if you want to emphasize like your that you are speaking and you say, ego, lego, right? You know, so, so I myself am speaking. And so here he says, ego at baptista, right? He's, he's, he's not, he's not just saying a baptista, right? I was baptizing. Um, but he's saying, I myself was baptized you with water. But then he goes and he says, then he says, but he himself, he will baptize you uh, with the Holy Spirit. Right. So again, he uses the personal pronoun for for him, uh, for 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 Jesus. Um, so you have this great emphasis in him distinguishing himself from the Lord Jesus, and 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 again, this goes back to what I was saying before about how John John is distancing himself from the baptism itself. He's saying, "I'm just." In other words, he's saying, "I'm pour, I'm just pouring the water," but he's bringing the Holy Spirit, right? 
So just as Elijah merely poured the water on the sacrifice and God brought the fire <clears throat> and, and the fire and the Holy Spirit go together. Um, that, 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 that's kind of a symbol of the Holy Spirit is fire. So, so, you know, the, the, this idea, you have this idea that, that floats around a lot of evangelical um, Protestant circles that there's a water baptism as a, and then there's a spirit baptism. Well, Ephesians 4 says there's only one baptism. Um, and uh, and it's really it's it's really uh, I think one of the, the trickiest tricks the devil has pulled is teaching a bunch of Christians that there's uh, that there's two baptisms <laughs> um, when the Bible clearly says there's one and and that there's there's a water baptism there's a there's a, a spirit baptism well no John is saying John is not saying anything different than what you and I say when when we say hey you know I just pour the water and um and i just speak the word but the holy spirit is actually doing the work right god is causing the growth as, as paul says in first corinthians you know i planted apollos watered but god brought the growth right he's not saying that somehow well there's a difference between you know first i planted then paulus watered and then much later god then was was involved you know no god was there the whole time right so of course the Holy Spirit was not given in this kind of public sense, like a, like he like he was on Pentecost, but he was always there. He was always, you know, the holy men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has always been accompanying His Word, even especially, you know, in John the Baptist. But the point here, John is not saying that he is not that the preaching that he's preaching, the baptism that he is preaching, is void of the Holy Spirit. No, he's saying that he himself, he's distancing himself um, from his act of baptizing, and that all he's giving himself credit for is just pouring the water. You know, I'm just pouring the water. But but what's really actually where the power is, is the Word who is coming, right? Who's going to bring the Holy Spirit. And that's the same thing then for us, right? It's uh, uh, what all we, I I can't remember how the, the Luther hymn goes, all we see is water as we pour it. Um, anyway, I, I'll have to uh, I, I encourage people to look up uh, on uh, the, the To Jordan Came the Christ Our Lord or something. I think that's how it goes. Um, and 406 but, uh, and 407 in Lutheran Service Book. Look it up. Yeah. Great hymn by Luther on baptism. Pastor Andrew Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran in McGregor, Iowa, helping us this morning with Mark chapter 1, 2 through 8. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.